Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Grove, and welcome uh, to episode 13 of the Rip Roar and Reds podcast. Tonight, myself and my co-host Jace are going to be discussing Arsenal versus Manchester United. But before we get into that, I want to know, how are you, Jace? How's your evening? <laughs> you know how my evening is. I just told you, and it sounds horrendous, so I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a good week, just very uh, working very hard, working very hard. And, um, yeah, I can't complain. Life is good. So, yeah, I'm all right. How about you? How's your week going? Before we do that, though, I want, to do, I want you to bring out your joke just so you can say it again, because it was good and I want I want the audience to hear it. So just just let's let's do that first. What, that I shaved my head so I can't pull it out anymore? Correct. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It's my favourite. Um, yeah, my, my week's been good. Back to work, obviously, after the holiday, which I, I've not necessarily been super looking forward to. Um, but it's been fine. The weather here is unreal. I've obviously brought it back from Spain with me. It's actually too Ooh. hot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so if we start looking more tomato-ish over the course of this video, you'll know why. It's probably about 30 degrees in this room. Um, yeah, so so all good. Um, right. I tell you what, it's going to be a massive, massive episode, this one, because we're going to be going in on Manchester United. We're going to be talking a lot about the Arsenal and the massive result that this is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get that intro music out of the way and then we're going to get straight into it. Saka. This is my club. We said on the last podcast that that ending bit with Martinelli scoring, he didn't score in this game. What an unfortunate... Oh, we tried to manifest it, Jason. It just didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Let's get into the, the the bit that we always start the show with. It's a big, big, rip-roaring review. I'm going to hand over to you first. We're actually going to talk about the same subject. We're both dead excited about it, though. Um, go on, Jace. What is your rip-roaring review uh, this week? Ten Hag's a massive crybaby, isn't he? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it. Uh, we're, we're going to go into the game in more detail, but I, I, I found... It was particularly called out some of the comments that he made at the uh, the end of the game on free. Like I just don't see his perspective. Yeah, I've got uh, Arsenal bias tinted lenses on, but uh, he said, you know, this here's the quote. Let's start. With, this is a quote from Ten Hag. Let's start with the penalty given but rejected. Not get uh, not get booked for it. Then so basically saying I think saying that the penalty was rejected from Arsenal and Habits didn't get booked for it. Then the foul on Hoyland in the penalty area, no foul given, not even by VAR. Then there's a disallowed goal from Garnacho. I think that he said he thinks it's the wrong angle. Um, finally, the goal that they gave, they said it was a clear foul on Johnny Evans uh, when Rice's shot went in. I fundamentally just feel like that's sour grapes. Um, I mean, Arsenal fans, we all think it was a foul on Habits. I don't know how the penalty got reverted. Uh, we were screaming at the television, me and Spence. I don't know what it was like for you in the ground. Um, in regards to the uh, the Hoyland uh, incident, for me, 
like I watched a couple of ref reviews on it. Not that you can always trust the ref reviews on Sky Sports and and, and whatnot because um, you just can't. But mm. they, I, I kind of agree. Like Gabriel's using his strength, so like welcome to the Premier League, son. Get on the weights. Um, that's the, that's the way I see it. Uh, I'm, again, I know I'm biased. I know people will say will disagree with me. Um, and then the the foul on Johnny Evans, no way, no way. You see that, like, like, like. You'd be given uh, the other way, right? Surely. Yeah, like it was a massive foul on Gabriel. Like, he's like pulls into the ground. Thrown into the ground. Yeah. Sorry, I'm doing. I'm. We're on YouTube as well, so I'm like showing a video of how he's thrown him. But uh, for people listening, I'm, I'm trying to enact uh, Johnny Evans throwing Gabriel to the ground. Either way, if that goal hadn't gone in, it would have been a penalty to us. So I completely just completely disagree. I think it's sour grapes. Um, they lost the game. I think we'll go on to stats and things later and, and, and look at it. And we were frustrated in the second half because we had chances to put the game to bed and we didn't. And then they came back into it with a kind of classic defensive performance and maybe get a goal in the last last few minutes. And and um, yeah, like, oh, just on the BAR as well for the Ganache offside. Draw the angles on the pitch. I don't know if you saw it, Greg, though, on, on Twitter. Like the guy drew the angles with like a, a yeah. Photoshop software. It's like that's a bang on. That decision was actually genuinely the right decision. It was not wrong. Like the that like the, the angle was dead on. If you look at the proportions and the angle the of, of the pitch and the way that the lines were moving, it was the right call. So yeah, I I, I yeah. Anyway, sour grapes and ten hog. How about you? Where, where where do you want to go in on Man United? <laughs> <laughs> where to start um for me there's the two the two ways i want to look at it so ten Hag has assembled one of the most expensively assembled squads in the league over the past um two years he spent over 350 million quid on his players right so we're talking anthony hoyland casemiro mount martinez onana uh, malasia uh, ericsson uh, granted a few of these are injured um, but these are his players, right? And, you know, if this was Arteta, people would be calling for his head. This would be everyone going, he spent this much money. He didn't win the league last year. What is he doing? I, I find it unreal uh, that we, we are in a situation where no one is going in on Ten Hag and on Man United. Through that assembled squad, you would have anticipated in a game of this magnitude against a club like Arsenal that they would set up in such a way that is in suiting with the players that they've signed. They have, and this is this is bias out the door, right? This they have an enormity of, uh, of attacking talent. They have really good players. Marcus Rashford, unreal, great finisher, can do a lot of damage, and we've seen it in all the games we keep playing against them. He seems to always turn up. Um, they have Anthony can play. I don't think he's their strongest player by any means, but he can play Martial, Casemiro. These are not bad players, right? So they should be facing us with an attacking mindset. And what they did was play the same game plan they played last time. Let's wait for Arsenal to have the ball and let's counter-attack them. And it worked once and it didn't work again. And it was effectively just very boring, very docile. And I just can't get on board with the fact that they've spent that level of money for that level of squad and and to turn up at our ground and, and perform the way that they did, I just can't understand it. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I think you have a, 
I think a lot of people, if it was Arteta in that situation, would be calling for his head to right. Um, with Ten Hag, I think he's still... I think I said this before on a previous podcast. Like, I would give him time like we gave Arteta time. It takes time. It doesn't matter. You can spend a bill, two billion, three billion pounds. Look at, look at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And in one season, you're not going to see the transformation. So Man United have shown improvement in the same way Arsenal showed improvement in the early stages. So... You know, you can spend it doesn't you can chuck unlimited cash at the problem. It takes time. You can't escalate uh, the yeah, process. I, I, I get money. that. I, I, yeah, I do get that. But th- there is a point to be made here that I do feel that where they've spent the money is not necessarily what they need. You know, yeah. they, look at their but sense. Not... I know that obviously had injury and I know that's not their fault to Varane. But they ended up on the pitch with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans as their yeah, centre-back pairing. That is an embarrassment. And absolutely, I mean, it is funny, but it, it is an embarrassment. And it costs them. And and I think you even said it, like, Ten Hag might have thrown other players under the bus. He threw them under the bus as well. You would never find Arteta doing that. Yeah. He was always that, like, I want to get my arms around the players, right? That's what he always does. And Ten Hag did the opposite. And, and this is one of the reasons why I was mentioning also about his sour grapes, because this is the difference. Like, I... I um, like, I don't really care about Ten Hag, to be transparent. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm behind Arteta. But I sympathise with the fact that, you know, you need to give your manager time and get behind them, which is what I still think United need to do with Ten Hag. On the other hand, let's look at the behaviours of comparing two, two managers here. The behaviours of Arteta, the way he talks in the press, the way he talks about his players, the way he even talks about fellow teams. Like, he's very, he, he's always respectful. Ten Hag, he's just like he just went in on Arsenal a few times. Like last year, it's like, oh, they don't get any injuries. Oh, hang on, we got all in load of injuries and lost the league. What are you talking about? Um, that's like the way he criticizes other clubs, just that whole general element of it and the way he's going on his players. Yeah, I, I kind of agree in, with that part. I think the money bit, I definitely find it hilarious how much they're spending. Um, because I think that I was there's an article, um, that the is it the the Swiss-based research institute institute have kind of looked at how much uh, teams, especially in the Premier League, have been spending. And Man United are just like top, I think, now. Uh, a record 1.19 billion. Uh, I've spent more, 1.19 billion more on transfers than over the past decade than they've recouped through player sales, according to a new study. They're like number one, like more, even more than City. So, because City might buy a lot, but they can also sell United can't I mean, um so pot kettle from yeah, us though jace right <laughs> oh yeah 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 but we don't i mean the most expensive player that we bought that was a failure was pepe i mean obviously habits and rice are now in that zone but united have got a much more proven track record at that than we have like mm. i remember martial was martial was one of their most expensive signings i wouldn't say he's been in some massive success pogba the kaku maguire like these are all 80 million pound players. So, um, yeah, I think it, I don't actually blame Ten Hag for them. And that's why I'm also sympathetic to Ten Hag in that situation, because I don't think necessarily he's making those decisions. I think that's above his head. But, no, but we're um, all here for it though, right, Jace? We're all enjoying the ride. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and one thing, just last thing I'll say on it, Sancho, like in the moment, like, let's have him. Uh, Man United, I will give you, 20 million pound right now for Jaden Sancho. Because I guarantee you, Arteta will turn him into another Bakayo Saka. 
you saw what he did with wingers at Man City, Arteta, uh, Arteta when he was assistant to Sane, to Sterling, how much they talk about him. That that kind of player, he is a specialist in. It's why Martinelli and Bakayo Saka are where they are. Um, I think Sancho, if he'd come back to Premier League and gone back to City, he'd have been absolutely fine. He'd been one of the best wingers in the world still. I think the fact that he's gone to Man United and not had the, the nurturing and the development that he probably requires and the style of football that United play, just does, it's just the wrong fit, wrong club, wrong fit. Coaches coming in and out. I guarantee if he goes to United, if he goes to Arsenal, maybe if he goes to Liverpool, um, you, you will see he's an amazing player. He's wasted there. I mean, yeah, they might sell Salah for 215 million, so Liverpool might be in need of a winger. Maybe. But uh, yeah, I saw the comments he also made on like Sancho being left out. I was just like, you're mistreating, you're doing something wrong with that player. And maybe it's the player's attitude because he's so down, because he's not getting the the game time that his career's gone downhill. But he needs to be he needs to be treated in a way that and sometimes players aren't motivated by being negatively called out in the press. Sometimes they just need an arm around the shoulder. He's not given that at the moment. That's clear. Right. So our, our first section wasn't called the ripping into Manchester United uh, review, but it might have felt like it. 13 minutes of, of great content. Um, let's move on, because uh, otherwise we could spend the entire podcast talking about that. Um, let's talk about Arsenal's setup for this game and their, their tactical masterclass. Um, there's a lot of stats that you just said at the top of the, the show there, Jason, that you want to call back to and a lot of kind of things. Do you want to talk me through those statistics and what they tell us about Arsenal's performance within this game? Yeah, so if we, I'm I'm actually gonna go uh, into some of the. Well, let's just look at expected goals first of all. It's massively different. United played a very defensive game. Um, they sat deep to an extent. Um, they wanted us to press, and usually we're quite a pressing team. We didn't press like. Onana had the ball at his feet and they were raving about oh, how Onana can play with his feet. And it's like, yeah, but we're not stupid because we know how good he is with his feet. So if we press him, our players move forward, he finds the gap, United counter-attack. So, yeah, you can make him look amazing with his feet. He's going to have the ball there. For, but there's a reason why we're playing the way we're playing because United are playing defensive and we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable through a counter-attack where they break, break through. So... Um, I found that kind of whole play quite interesting. And I think that that is reflected in the expected goals um, because when we are attacking, you know, our expected goals was 2.27. United didn't come forward that much, 0.94 on expected goals and expected assists. Again, we're double uh, 1.18 to to, to 0.64. So I think when you just start to look at some of those statistics, it kind of, tells that story of how they came set up to play. Um, and I think Arsenal actually knew how they were going to come and set up to play. And we kind of counteracted that. They Man United, I reckon, had much more possession than they thought they were going to get. The first um, half, again, I think they had something like 60% or something like that. It was, it was significantly yeah. higher than ours. Yeah, it was. And I, I think that was kind of partly intentional. Um the thing for us personally, I think, is it was more frustrating in the second half when we should have had the game put to bed. A few different chances, especially the habits miss in the first half, for example. That was um, that the was Saka one that... straight at Onana in the second half oh, is probably the biggest one for me. 
Yeah, I forgot about that. That that one. I'm Sorry to open up an old wound. <laughs> no, but it was yeah, it, it, yeah. But we had like a total of seventeen shots and five on target. Their shots were ten and two on target. So, um, yeah, like the the stats kind of bring it home there. Um, I think we were far superior, even if maybe the neutral watching the game or a United fan watching the game probably has a differing opinion. I think the consistently, if you look at the stats this year, um, we have been on the positive side of where we want to be. And the only time the result didn't come through was Fulham. But Arteta was like, it's coming. Like he's seeing the marginal gains that you were talking about in earlier podcasts that he wants to see. He's not worried about the result. He, I mean, we are all obviously, of course, are worried about the result we want to win. But it's a, you know, we talked about process and, and development and transformation before it takes time. And you're looking for certain signs of progress. And those are the signs of progress he's looking for. You're going to have small setbacks on the way. You're going to get draws. You're going to get a couple of defeats. So, yeah, that's my perspective on it. I, I, tell me about from your perspective on the, the tactical masterclass. Uh, yeah. You made what, um, what, what? you you made some like amazing points there. So I'd I'd like to maybe pick it back a little bit on them, but like you, you did make some really good points. Like for me, I, I looked at some of the stats, some of the big telling ones for me, like Man United didn't spend any time in our final third. They spent about 14% of their time in the final third. And in there, I don't have it in front of me, but there was a stat that talks about how much how many final third passes they made, and it was about a third of ours. Um, that shows in that XG and that XA, like basically they just weren't creating anything. So like you say, we were allowing them to have the ball. We set up in a very different way to this game. Like uh, last year when we played against them, we, we set up in the way that we usually would and would press and we would get countered and transitioned. The, actually, their only goal from Rashford came from our own mistake. It wasn't was through. About... Yeah. No, I mean, Havertz gave the ball a ball away to uh, Ericsson, I think, in a, in a loose pass, and that's how they 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 scored their goal. If you yeah. look at their, they had two shots on target that entire game. Their xG was just under one, which is basically Rashford's Rashford's attempt. Rashford's attempt is that that 0.94 in their xG. I can't remember who the second shot was, but they didn't create anything, and that's not necessarily just because of how defensive we maybe set up and made it difficult for them. They just we allow them to play in that in their own third and we just let them have the ball knowing that they weren't really being able to do very much with it if we weren't allowing the space in the middle. Um, yeah. And that is like, for me, like I say, we, we, we talked a lot last, uh, well, earlier on in preseason about last season where Arteta never had a plan B. He always had plan A and that's how he would play. And if, if teams set up against us with the low block that we've discussed in many pods before, what would we do? I'm now seeing a very kind of different approach to games, which I think is, uh, like you say, that that tra- that process, that growth, that transformation, it is happening. The stats, and maybe it's not translating as much as to the, like you say, to the casual viewer or someone that's a neutral that wants to watch it for our. Because I think our first goal in particular was the first one-touch football we've seen us play for a while. Yeah. Um, you turn it on. I can't even. Well, yeah, yeah, but there was maybe like eight passes or something, like very reminiscent of some of our goals of old. You know, everyone calls back to the old Jack, Jack Wilshere uh, Norwich goal. Um, there was a Giroud one very, very similar to that as well. That that one-touch passing football that we we usually commonly yeah. associated with. Um, 
And I'll tell you just one other thing I was going to call out on the, the, the tactical kind of part of the game. When they were coming out of the tunnel, because I watched the highlights back after coming back from the game, and you just saw the players coming out, and there was like a real big size difference between Arsenal and Man- Manchester United. They were they feel very small by comparison. And the amount of it felt like we were targeting corners because we had a lot of corners this game, particularly in the first half. Every time Onana was uh, in the corner of his area, we were pressing him, knowing that he couldn't get out when we could sense there was an opportunity. And we had like 12 corners or something in the first half, I think. I, I don't think I've got... We had 12 corners the entire game. So I think it's about seven or eight in the first half. <clears throat> and we just kept on on that because we knew we had the height advantage. And you could tell, like, we, I, I would say the rice goal was straight off the training ground. To me, it felt like something we'd worked on. Because a lot of man yeah. marking that centre in the tall players. And rice, he had so much time, so much time. Unreal. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think tactically we just set up it, 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 amazing. I think I think it was such a great way to set up that game in particular. Yeah, uh, I think just to add to it, like um, so, one the rash of chance that you mentioned about, like me and Spence, just like I, I, I don't know, I, I watched the game with uh, with uh, my friend and, and Greg's friend Spence. Um, and so when Rashford got the ball, I think there was a both a sinking feeling. Where we were like, "Oh crap!" Like it's a counter. This is the most. This is the biggest threat United have is Rashford on the counter. That's it. And it just it was like he's going to score this. It was the same way that when Spurs used to get on the counter with Son, I always used to feel he was going to score and put it in the bottom corner, whip it with his foot, and he always did. And it was exactly the same with Rashford because we saw it last season. He did it again. Apart from that to your point around how we played we're seeing this season we're seeing the arsenal low block we're seeing the arsenal low block we are implementing a different strategy we did it against city it worked for most of the game and then we've done it again against united it's our version it takes, of it takes like block. a level of concentration right that is just uh you know 90 minutes at that level it is challenging particularly against teams like city and united who can unlock those yeah. blocks but the the only the only thing I would probably add to that is that it's having an impact on our perspective of how we're playing. I think it's taken us time to transition because we saw the low block against City. We didn't think anything more of it because we're like, oh, like it's a game plan for City. I didn't think we were gonna. When, but when we season kicked off, we expected the one touch football that we saw with the goal that you know Odegaard scored because we saw that quite a lot last year. We played that way in the first 10 games of last season and we were on fire we were killing games by half time Gabriel Jesus was magic um we were scoring goals for fun that one touch football that those games particularly the last two seasons at home the games against Spurs of one touch football and scoring uh, I used to think of like Smith Rowe coming in on the edge of the area and doing what Odegaard's You'll done cut like, back yeah yep like that that kind of football was just that's our football and we haven't seen it this season and I think it's because actually we're now, it's quite clear what Arteta's been doing. He knows we can do the one touch, but it, it opens us up to a certain vulnerabilities in the midfield and defensively. So we're also playing a different style, which has a result is having an impact probably on the number of goals that we're scoring. But we're still getting the results, so it's okay. And I think that we're going to have to, you know, the team are probably still learning when to pivot in a game between those two styles as well. Um, so yeah, it's just an observation. 
I mean, there was there was one other question I wanted to ask you. I know we've had a bit on this segment already. Before the game, obviously, it leaked in uh, on Twitter mainly uh, that Party was injured, um, and then Ghana's Football Association obviously leaked it as well. And then he obviously <laughs> was not going to start. Word is that he's out for six to eight weeks. Yeah. Do you think that we would have set up in the same way had he been fit? Would Gabriel effectively go back into the starting eleven with Zinchenko, or would we carry on with the same uh, setup that we had in the first three games of the season? I'll refer to my previous statement last podcast. No idea. No idea. Didn't know what I didn't know what Arteta if Party was fit, I had no idea what Arteta was doing. I knew the lineup I wanted. And I think Party being injured actually forced me too. Forced I think it forced his hand uh, into the, forced, the situation. Everyone hand wanted it today, right? Yeah, well, we obviously wanted Party and Rice in the midfield together, I think, probably over maybe having habits there. Um, but it forced him to play the formation that he wanted. And, um, I mean, I don't know, complaints. I suppose it doesn't I matter think, now, right? It doesn't matter. I, I, it's all, it's all yeah. history. I think, uh, like, with an exception, um, well, Havertz miss obviously was disappointing. But apart from that, I thought he had a really, really good game. Um, and that's actually, did he not give the, did he give the pass over Rashford? He did, didn't he? He gave the ball away to Ericsson that resulted in the goal. And it was yeah. a loose pass. I mean... But but the rest of his performance, I thought, was pretty decent. Um, so, I think yeah. So, I mean, so I've seen a lot of saying as well for him. He's getting in the right positions. I think inevitably it's going to come. You, you do, He does find pockets of space. He does... You know, the one that he kind of flashed at and then it ended up with Saka and I think Martinez kind of skimmed across and put it away. That It will come. It's going to come. Yeah, he's betting in still. It's all good. Yep. Um, right, let's move on for tactical. Let's look at, so uh, this is called Captain Fantastic. Um, it is going to be a little bit about Erdegaard, but also about the 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 non-captain captain of this team in, in Declan Rice. So I'm going to go to him um, first. You kind of mentioned it a little bit already, but tell me, Jace, what did, what did you think about Declan Rice in this game? Just justifies the money we spend, right? Like, he is, it was a, the perfect performance from what you expect from our central midfield. Uh, I'm to think of the word. Let's just call him our, our central midfield, uh, like figurehead. What we need from our key midfield, number one midfield player, the number one on the team sheet. It's the, it, you know, was it a 10 out of 10? Maybe not, but it was a solid 8 out of 10. Like, is that familiar level? You know what you always always going to get from Jacker, no less than seven, and you just all in some games you'd get an eights and nines. He's pretty damn consistent. Rice has been pretty damn consistent the whole time, but this was definitely his best game, and he just validated the goal, topped off uh, a, a wonderful performance, a controlled performance, um, tactical. He he clearly is understanding what Mikel wants, especially with this kind of new style that we're trying to play a little bit this season executed it to, to, to a T, and then gets himself his first goal and what really probably was the winner minus the third one we scored but it was the one that made us all go oh thank god for that jesus christ yeah. um so yeah um just a, just a lovely lovely performance um you know i could some uh, the goal was the bit that stood out for me at the end, if I'm completely honest. You know, he was, 
he was like his performance wasn't like there wasn't a major element of uh, standout performance that I noticed during the game, like something that he did exceptionally well that made him like a standout player in the game. For me, the goal was what made rounded off an amazing performance, and then the reason his performance was so good because he was quiet. We did the job he needed to do, which we had paid all that money for. And when you are a central midfielder in that position, that's that's what you need. That's what you are paying that money for. Because I mean, you're hard to find a midfielder that can do that. Yeah, every, every it's not game. a glamorous position, right? That's the that's the thing. Yeah. You're paying when you're paying 105 million, everyone expects you to be buying 20 goals a season or you know, a lot of flair, a lot of dynamism, and that's not necessarily what we're getting from Declan Rice. Yeah. Have you have you seen the articles of like or just all the things I've seen loads of things? It's like which was the better signing, Jude Bellingham or Rice? Like because like Jude Bellingham's been absolutely tearing it up from Madrid, but I think it's just because he's scoring lots of. I haven't seen the games, but I know he's scoring lots of goals. He's like scored like something like four or five in their first like three or four games. So, um, so I, I'm kind of like I'm not interested in in comparing them. I think they're both amazing midfielders. I think England is incredibly blessed that we've got both of them at this point in time. And I think they kind of can play slightly different positions, especially for England. Declan can play more defensive and Jude can play more attacking. Um, so I, I'm really happy. I mean, I was never worried about the amount we were spending. Habits, yeah, of course, like everyone's going to question it. But Rice, no one's questioned it. I haven't seen it. Because we spent that money on Habits, no one's even questioning how much we broke our transfer record for Rice. And... And, and yeah, there's no worries, there's no concerns. A major concern is please don't get injured. Please to God, don't. I mean, get I, knowing what I know about him at West Ham, he, he rarely ever did. That was one of the things that I think you're paying part of that money for is the ability to play, you know, 50 games a season and not break a sweat. Yeah. And anything for you from a rise which was stand out? Like, is there anything except for the goal that you were like, yeah. I mean, yeah, the goal is the cherry. Um, I, I suppose the, the the cake and the the filling within the cake for me was he, he's playing last season when we played our our, our you know centre mid pairings. They are pairings. Rice is playing effectively a single pivot, like on his own mm. now, and and Havertz and Odegaard are playing much more fluid roles in the ten in the eight, um, and he is performing the role of two players so effectively. Um, in this game alone, I think he made three 50-50s in the first 20 minutes of this game. He was making every single challenge his, and his reading of the game was exemplary. He, he, he just knows things are going to happen before they do. Um, and that was, the, the you know, maybe not necessarily, there's one standout tackle. I think there was one that he challenged Fernandez when they were about to break. And he just, Fernandez on the deck, couldn't get up. You could have, you know, you, you might look at it sometimes and say 50% of the time people are going to give it as a foul, that they didn't in this occasion. And that's the, you know, he's not he's not shying away from challenges or 50-50s. He's going to go in for them and he's winning them. That, for me, is what we're paying the money for and did it so well. Um, so, yeah, I'm over the moon. And uh, like I said, when we were looking in preseason, we were analysing some of his games that he was having. They were kind of like solid fives and sixes out of tens. It was like, you know, he's ticking over. He's he's moving the ball. He's reading the game. It was fine. It's starting to kick on now, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like pre preseason was just like, it wasn't even, because he'd only been training with the squad for like a few days. Mm. 
in certain games. So it's kind of like, yeah, you can't read anything into that. But like, as soon as the Premier League started, like solid sevens, now we're getting eights. Soon, uh, you know, we might get, I don't, we might get some nine and tens out of him. I'm sure we will. Well, we got we got Spurs and City on the horizon over the next six games. I think, you know, yeah. they're they're the ones where we're going to need those nines. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the same one's called Captain Fantastic. I don't want to move, uh, you know, move on to another one without just mentioning Erdegaard. Um, for me, the biggest thing about that, you know, uh, thirty six seconds or something between the the restart and our goal after their goal. If that's not a captain. Pulling, you know, his socks up and dragging this team back into this game. I don't know what is, and I can't, you know. How much did it cost us? Twenty-eight million two years ago. Uh, so I think it was like thirty-five to forty. Uh, it, I mean, but either insane. way, it was a bargain <laughs> compared to. I mean, let's be honest. There's no one in our in the league that is as good as Odegaard except De Bruyne in that position. Yeah, and even and De Bruyne is he's just. He comes in and out of games, and he is now injured, and he has he has had quite a lot of frailty in the recent years. He can switch it on like nobody's business. I agree, but I, like you say, no one else can do it other than those two. Yeah, I, and as I, I said, I think last season was the turning of the tide slightly in in their uh, in in in, in, in his crown. I think is slowly leaving as he gets yeah. older, and and he shows that frailty. And I think Odegaard stepping in. The only thing I'd say, like uh, the god, oh, I love Odegaard when he does that. Like he, that exact run, he knows where to be. He knows where to put the ball. Uh, he's getting so many of those goals, as well on top of his creativity and his assists and his finding the holes and the gaps for Saka and those through balls. Like it, it, I love, I love him. I absolutely love him. It was a beautiful, beautiful goal and a lovely finish. Um, but apart from, I actually, apart from that, I think he was quite quiet in the game. And I think that was, again, because of the style of football we were playing. We didn't see quite as much creativity. And I think that was the bit because we were lacking Ben driving forward a bit. And like, there's a, those three play together quite well. Saka, Ben White and, and, and Odegaard alternating between the ball between them. Uh, ben pulling out space to drag the defender wide to then create the hole that Saka runs into that Odegaard feeds the ball. Like, it's a triangle between them and it works and it works exactly as I described because Ben White is, 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 is purposely not really having a much impact on the game. He's in there to pull players away, create the space for Saka and allow Odegaard to do his magic. So um, yeah, that's the only reason I think he was a bit quiet because we were playing that defensive low block and we didn't see Ben White committing as much going forwards. Yep. Right. That's enough about Erdogan. God, this is such a happy podcast, Jason. It makes a lovely breath of fresh air. Um, right. Uh, we 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 started with Eddie Nketiah. We ended with uh, Gabriel Jesus. They, they offered uh, a little bit of something different between them. Um, I just, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. We've not discussed this yet, right, Jace, uh, about the, the two kind of striker options we've got. I'm interested from your view of the game on television, how Eddie's game came across and did anything change when uh, Gabby Jesus made his way onto the pitch? Again, from Eddie, brilliant performance. Like, uh, I've learned something now. In the last few games, I think I've realised 
is that we we said Jesus doesn't have to score goals, but we actually want Eddie to score goals. Um, but actually, I, I think the thing I've learned is that as long as the goals can come from other places, which again, with the style of football we've been playing a little bit, has been a bit challenging. Um, we should hold Eddie to the same standards as Jesus. And he has been superb. Like his pressing, his chasing, his energy. He hunts down everything. Um, and, and so I was really, again, impressed and happy with the performance he's putting in. He is um, he's doing a great job. The difference, though, however, like, I mean, Jesus, was it a different style? I don't know. I think they both were doing similar things. The one difference was that the game was open at the end because Man United tried to get back into it. They left the gap and, um, and, 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 and Jesus got the assist through from Fabio. And, and what did he, does he do differently? I guess I don't see Eddie quite doing what Jesus did in that situation. Being able to run to the byline, commit, was it Johnny Evans, who just looked like he was sliding into the bar, straight for the bar, go for your pint, mate. Um, because he just he wasn't interested, was he? Just slipped past him, and Jesus just that was that kind of ability and calmness to be able to, to do that in a one on one situation and then slot it in the corner. I love those kind of finishes. That's a classic Arsenal finish, in my opinion. That ability to slot it in the corner in that way, like we know Thierry is my favorite when he used to do it, so um, that. That was different, and I think that that probably is the slight difference between Eddie and Jesus. Like the rest of the game, the, the Eddie's game is becoming much closer to Jesus and what we expect the chasing, the commitment, the pressing, the energy is being brought. But um, Eddie's kind of finishing much more poacher like Jesus. That's a different skill and attribute and calmness to be able to, to, to maneuver a defender and, and, and place it in the corner in that way. That's a little bit different. Um, that's the different, probably the, the major difference I can think of. Um, what did you think of Eddie's performance? Yeah, once again, an all-round from... It's, it's a shame that he didn't score because it would have capped off an all-round striker performance. He did such a, like you say, chasing down... Um, putting press, running, uh, getting involved in the play when the game maybe wasn't coming to him in a similar vein to Gabby Jesus. Um, just think he made himself a nuisance. And one of the things I just love about Eddie is pressing of the keeper. How many times does he just almost get that ball? Like, uh, and it'll result in a corner or maybe like a goal kick or something, but he, he does it so often, it comes off so well. And, you know, that's why he does it. Like, there's some players that just kind of plod along to press the goalkeeper knowing full well they're just not doing anything. Meza Ozil style, you know what I mean? Where they just be like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. just going to stand here knowing you're going to kick it over me. Um, I love that part. And like I said, the only difference in style that I can identify is just Eddie's the poacher. Eddie's the fox in the box. Like you say, I can't see him doing that finish that Gabby Jesus did at the end of the match. I agree with you. But that's where it's kind of interesting to have those two different styles of maybe players and and you can suit them to different games that's why i'm like i, I don't envy arteta at this point in time having to see who he's going to pick because if you were eddie you'd be banging on his door going look at how i'm playing you can't drop me and if you're jesus you're going look i just come into that game with 20 minutes and i score a goal you've got to start me mm-hmm. so it's like what are you 
what, what do you do? Um, so for me, that's the difficulty we have at the moment. I mean, a nice problem to have, of course, but just something I, I find relatively interesting that we've we've got a good uh, amount of options um, provided Jesus stays fit. He's been called up for Brazil, which does frustrate me. Um, Arteta seemingly has just not learned the dark arts that, that Klopp and other managers have where they're like, oh, he's got a niggle, he's got to stay here, got to stay. Yeah. We just got to do that a bit better because we just never do, and that's where you know it'll it'll go away and it'll get pick up a little knock or so and can be out for another month. We just don't need it. Yeah, Arteta needs to give a call to Sir Alex Ferguson, doesn't he? I know it's just a shame that you know of all the things he has learned and that he is good at, that feels like something that doesn't need to be taught. You can just do that and just be maybe he's just too honest or too transparent. I don't mm-hmm. know, but he doesn't come across mm-hmm. as that type of individual. Um, right, so Jesus, Jesus was one of the, the 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 substitutes that came on, and there were three others. Um, I do want to talk about the cameos in this game because they all had a big impact on this game. Um, out of the three, I'll let you pick, Jace, because uh, I'll give you uh, the choice. Who, who do you want to call out first and foremost? I'm on the Fabio train at the moment. Um, of course you are. I knew you were going to go there. I knew you were going to go. Just a dick just to dig you to dig you in yeah but also um i mean the obvious one i could say is reese i'll let you talk about reese um fabio lovely assist lovely assist he's good he's just growing he's growing in front of us we were worried in pre-season um but he is massively i can even see the growth in four or five games it's a different player and the last game, home game against Fulham, he came on and owned it. Again, a great cameo, a lovely assist for Jesus. Um, that that ended the game, uh, put it to bed thoroughly. So just really happy to see him being consistent in his performances when he is coming in off the bench and he's pushing, he's pushing habits. Arteta's got a problem there as well, I think, if he continues to do that. There's going to be a point where he's going to have to make a decision between whether Havertz is on the bench or Fabio's on the bench. Um, I expect Fabio to actually get some starts in the Champions League, I think, because he's got that experience at Porto. So I think um, I, I, I might, I expect that. I was, I was going to say, because here's a question for you. So I think, you know, you said I can talk about Reese, similar kind of vein, Came on, massive impact, driving at players, no fear the way that he played, creating chances for his small amount of game time. If you were encapsulating that, a real, a real fantastic performance in trying to bring the team back into the game. And I was in it to bring it together, both him and Fabio. My view is that that's actually what they're superior at. It's impact. Mm. It's last yeah. 20 minutes. And I think, I know you're saying maybe calling for him to start, but maybe that's not the plan. Maybe the plan is to keep it like this so that we have options to transform the game when it is not in our favor. Um, Cause I, I, I do, I, I get the impression that if you gave them 80 minutes, spreading that out across 80 minutes, rather than, you know, in that, that tight space of 20, you might feel differently about their performance potentially. And that, we have players now that can that can swap in and out and not have to worry about it so much. I don't know what you think about that. I, I kind of feel that having them as impact is working, and let's keep it that way. So agree, and and Reese for me, um, reflection was probably the most standout of all the people who had the cameo. He 
he changed the game actually when he came on, in my opinion, the energy he brought. Um, it only will work for so long. Yeah. What we're describing, it's not. It's, but do you think? Do you, do you think they get told? They're, they're, they're just like I'd go hard for twenty minutes. Like, yeah, of course. You know, is. so that's that's kind of where you say like making the biggest change, like his energy that he brought to the rest of the team was like, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, uh, definitely. But the challenge is whether how long are they prepared to do that? Are they prepared to do that for one more season and they're going to knock on the door and say, I want to go if I'm not going to if I'm going to get the games, or they're going to be saying, you need to start me. Um, and maybe we give them some opportunities to start, and then they have to show that same consistency for the whole eighty minutes or however long they get. Yeah. And if they can prove that, then 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 they're owning owning themselves a position, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for us, they are much better at impacting off the bench, and and Reese is especially um, good at that. Yeah. Um, I was just going to mention before we move on to the parking lot. Then uh, Tommy Asu was the other cameo, and I would say it's probably his best performance I've seen him play um, since pocketing Salah uh, back when we played Liverpool. Was his probably yeah. last best game that he had, um, and it's I think people forget how good he can be. Um, and he has at, at, at times been very, very good. Yes, at times he has been pretty bad too. I think if you like you say, if you can keep up that consistency of performance, I'm not as worried if he can keep that level up in, in backfield. Because did, did he come on for Zinchenko, right? Do you think he's better on the left than he is on the right? Because he... So, well, I, I know he plays that right, for he Japan, would... right? He, he yeah, plays left for left on right. Japan. Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah, I, I'm with you there because, yeah, he gets roasted sometimes on the right. So maybe that's it's another Arteta, Durian Timber style because he's a right back by trade, right? Well, we we bought him in as a right back, but I'm questioning yeah. it now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Right. I tell you what, um, in the interest of time, uh, let's get onto the parking lot. There's a few little bits and pieces that I added into there. Um, as well as you, where do, where do you want to go first, Jason? Your parking lot. What you got to bring up? Um, let's start with Eddie. Call up to the England squad. So congratulations to him. Well deserved. Um, I I'm just happy it happened because I I couldn't believe it hadn't happened earlier. To be honest, there were some of the performances he was putting in last season for us in replacing Jesus. Um. And his numbers for I, the under twenty ones is is oh, crazy. Oh, he's, right? he's the top goal scorer in under twenty one history, isn't he? Yeah. I think. Yeah. So yeah, well deserved. Um, in excited to see how he plays. I I genuinely and it, and for me it also adds to the Southgate. What are you doing with Ben White situation as well? Because when a team is playing very well um, at squad level. And they have a large amount of international players. You take all of them because they bring that vibe to the camp. We saw it with Liverpool when they were at their peak with uh, Trent and Hendo. Um, and and we see it a little bit with Man City, but not. I guess they, they don't have as many. I mean, they've got Foden, they've got um, Grealish. I think they've got anyone. I don't think they do. Uh, they've got Stones. I guess Stones is pretty consistent. But like it, it's 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 common, and, and I I don't understand why you wouldn't bring in Ben White when you've got Saka playing right wing, 
when you've got Rice there, when you've got Eddie there, um, when you've got Aaron, potentially you can play in goal. Like, for me, Aaron Ramsdale, we've already talked, better than Pickford, in my opinion. Um, I, think, I, I don't think that's Ryan. an opinion. I don't think that's an opinion, Jace. I think it's fact. It's like, a fact. Yeah, so you're going to play Saka. Saka's always starting. Rice is always starting. Aaron Ramsdale should start, in my opinion. If you've then got Ben White and you've got Eddie, in my opinion, I mean, you're not going to... Obviously, displacing Kane is going to be difficult. That's the um, bit I was going to raise, because like, I just can't see him getting much of a starting berth. In tournament, yeah. maybe in friendlies and other bits and pieces, you probably will. But here's the question, and I, I'd generally be intrigued to hear your view, and I'm intrigued to hear many people's view on this, because I would like an Arsenal-tinted lens and a, non, a non-Arsenal-tinted lens. But does Harry Kane in the England squad, in the way that we want to play, actually suit how... Like, a Southgate is 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 tried to be... Uh, at the start, he, he tried to be, you know, coming across as a bit of a disciple of the of of the Guardiola's and, and and that kind of and Klopp and that kind of at least that more more uh, modern football with England, and then I feel slowly that has tapered off in his years in management because he always has to fit Kane in because he always has to pick Maguire because he always has to pick Pickford, and and, and 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 yeah exactly and and therefore what we thought was going to be a transformational England squad. Um, has slowly tapered off, in my opinion, and I'm and I'm like, just you. You just need to like, in my opinion, if I was the England manager, I'd be going, what kind of style of football do I want to play, and what are the best players to get the maximise the best of that? You'll see it because uh, proof. My case in point. See, look how Spurs are playing now without Kane. Freedom attacking football. I mean, look how West Ham are playing without Declan Rice. It's a similar kind of vein. Like, you know, people always say you can't <laughs> replace the man, but they replace him with different players. Like, and I, I, yeah. I agree with you. I, I know what your point you're making. Southgate reversed the type a little bit for me. Like, he's a safe, a safe manager, a safe tactician, and he will revert to what he knows. And you're right, it's just not enough. We're winning. Yeah. Listen, we get quite far, and I think that's where there's a lot of faith in Southgate at the moment, or a lot of same with Arteta, you, you've built up a lot of rapport with getting as far as they've got in certain tournaments that you're allowing him to make the decisions. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, congrats to Eddie. Like I say, big, it is a big milestone in his career. He's hoping that he gets the chance to shine and does well. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Good luck, Eddie. Um, just before we went uh, into the podcast, they, they did the Ballon d'Or announcements. Um, of seen which um, Martin Erdegaard and Bukayo Saka are both in the running. I think, like, let's be honest, um, Erling Haaland's going to win it. Um, I don't think there's any uh, shadow of a doubt that he will win it because of the treble, because of his record-breaking uh, goal-scoring season in the Premier League. It's just all written in the stars. But just to have those two names in that list amongst such great company is is a, an achievement within itself and i also think i don't know what the trophy i think it's called the yashin or something like that, the the goalkeeper's version of the ballon d'or and um, of which ramsdale is also in that oh that's good uh is surprising well he was in the premier league or the pfa team of the season wasn't he uh um, isn't recently. that is that player that's player voted right yeah i guess so yeah i mean it's great to see 
Saka and Odegaard in it. That's definitely well deserved. I think that rep is representative. Uh, who my who my is not there. Um, when I look at Kim Min Jae, uh, I think he's a centre back, isn't he? Um, he came from Napoli to PSG. I would say I'd like to see Saliba in there, maybe. But maybe it's just too soon. Maybe maybe it's too soon. But I genuinely think we've got one of... Um, I think we did the ESPN review on ranking defence centre-backs in the world. He's up there. So I think he was number four. I, I think he's up there. I um, He didn't win anything, obviously. And he, had, he got injured in the last few months of the season. I think if we'd have won the league, he'd have probably been in that list from a centre-back yeah. perspective. Yep. Um, but I would maybe like to see him in there. Um, apart from that, yeah, I mean, the guys you expect to be are in there. And I look forward to seeing Bakayo Saka with uh, Ballon d'Or. <laughs> I mean, I can't say it like I say, but um, he's 22. He only just turned 22. It's still crazy to think he's got so much of a ceiling ahead of him. Um, I just can't see it. Like there was, I don't know if you saw this. I think it was Paul Merson was on Sky Sports, and he basically said that um, Liverpool should sell uh, Mohamed Salah for 200 million and then buy Saka for 150. And I know I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was Ooh. saying. Um, that effectively, I, I I don't think Merson's on the payroll, right? He's not like a, a Ray Parler where he gets wheeled out for the Arsenal paraphernalia, no, and and as such, will will pull the threads of uh, dissent when it comes to Arsenal. But that is absolute nonsense, absolute nonsense. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't want to listen to it. It's just ridiculous. It's, ridiculous. it's the polite way of saying just ignore the guy. Um, basically, uh, there's sometimes I, I don't understand some of Mercer's comments as someone who's meant to be a little bit of an ex-Arsenal legend and and um, he's not on the payroll. Uh, I don't understand some of his comments sometimes. So I just kind of let them go over my head. And that was one I saw that and I was just like, what are you talking about, mate? That's absolute rubbish. We are not going to sell Pakaio Saka to Liverpool. Um, and if we would, it'd be a world record transfer fee. Like yeah. thinking you can sell Salah for 200 million to Saudi Arabia and then buy Saka for 150. No way. I mean, Sa Change, changes the market, right? Sure. Yeah. Salah goes for 200 million and Saka's younger. He's got eight plus years till he's even 30. Like, he ain't going for 200 million and 150 million, mate. He's going for double whatever that is, like, based on the way the market's been changed. So, yeah, ignore that. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, actually, I, I didn't put it on our list for parking lot, but um, do you watch the Ivan Tony video on the YouTube video? Uh, I over CEO. Yeah. Stephen so yeah. I watched the first 15 minutes um, because I've seen the clip, obviously, where he calls out Arsenal in particular, which is obviously oh, he wants sparkle, to come to sparkles in our eyes uh, because he was probably the, the the guy that we'd love to kind of get. Yeah, I don't, I've seen a bit of it. He, he's quite eloquent and um, quite it's quite a, um, uh, a transparent kind of interview. He's quite open. I still quite flabbergasted by some of the things that he did and why he did them, but it's not really yeah. my place. I think it's interesting. Some of the it's an interesting interview. I can't quite gauge the guy, uh, um, but he's an amazing talent. And would I take him in January when he's available for transfer? Yes, one hundred percent. And I think he wants to come to us. Is the general because when he 
like uh, um, Stephen kept dropping the hints, right? Of Man United, Man United, Man United. He was not having any of that. He just didn't react to it. The whole. Didn't he was a Liverpool whole, fan, oh, right? As a kid, is that what he said? And then yeah, he said, he, said he was a style of play is like yeah, what interests him. Basically, he was like, I'm a Liverpool fan, but Arsenal's the style of play that interests me, and basically was the biggest like I want to play for Arsenal hint drop that could possibly be be mm. there. Makes me think even maybe the you know the discussions that may need to be had have maybe already started from that perspective. What maybe why we didn't see an attacking purchase in uh yeah. in 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 the uh in the summer window in the same way why we didn't necessarily we decided to only buy Jorginho in the last window because we knew Rice was coming, that kind of thing. Um, if Edo's already done his tapping up and getting the players sold on the project, you know, half the work is done. And it'd be it'd be really interesting to see because I think if we did get <clears throat> him in, we'd need to be removing one of Jesus or Inketia. I don't think so. I just don't think we've got room for three strikers in that team. I think we play one of them on the right. We need a backup for Saka. We keep saying it. So, like, I think we get them all in. I think you could put Jesus wanna, on the wing. Uh, Jesus is the Hazel. Thanos of the Arsenal world, just collecting strikers and sticking him in his gauntlet, ready to snap other teams out of existence. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right. Uh, a big a big episode. Uh, we spent a lot of time uh, in talking uh, a fantastic 3-1 victory for the Arsenal. Um Jace, before we sign off, this is going up on YouTube. What do we want people to do? We would like comments. We would like questions, and we'll answer them on the pod. And please give us a thumbs up if you like this. And, and if, if you do. And uh, if you're listening on your podcast provider of choice, Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, what should they do on those? Please give us a review. Uh, please give us five stars because Greb doesn't want anything less, and he'll come around your house if you do give us less. Yeah, I'm not a scary individual, but just even the thought of me near your house should be enough to to warrant a five star review. Yeah, so um, it won't be right. scary. It'd be, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be nice. Knock on, I'd be knock like, on, yeah. polite knock on my door. Hello, uh, can you uh... <laughs> up that four to a five, please? Thanks. I might even bring treats. Um, right, fifty eight minutes done. Great, great podcast, Chase. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Cheers, guys. Thank you.